Field is our office. I'm Ashley Storby, field agronomist in South Central Minnesota, and with me is Jay Zilski, my neighbor to the west. Jay and I have spent the last couple of days together walking corn in Southeast Minnesota with our colleagues for our annual plot tour, and we have lots of observations that we would love to share. But first, you know, Jay and I parted ways here in the afternoon, and Jay, you had some things to do. Did you get everything done and make it back to the office? All right? Absolutely. I made it back to the office just in the nick of time for us to do this uh, podcast, and, and it wasn't going to you know, miss out on my first combine ride of the 2022 um, harvest. So, uh, and that was kind of, uh, it's kind of typically my annual first combine ride of the year, at least the last two years it has been uh, up in the Lee Sewer area, have a, uh, uh, a farmer in the area there that uh, has some lighter ground and likes to plant some earlier maturity corn to take advantage of some uh, early marketing opportunities. And, uh, it's always pretty exciting to get on that first combine ride of the year. And, and then, you know, surprisingly, again, this is some lighter soils. Uh, really quite pleased to see the yields that, that are coming out of that, that area. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, some variation in that field, but uh, right around just a little over 24% average uh, moisture on the corn. A whole range of yields there uh, from some of the tougher spots, maybe being less than 100 bushels and some of the really sandy ground to some very um, impressive uh, numbers on the, on the high end. And overall, I think it, it bodes well, uh, just out of respect for the farmer, not necessarily going to share his, his, his numbers because uh, he's the only guy rolling, so everybody knows who I'm talking about. So, uh, <laughs> but just know those numbers have been really quite impressive. And actually for me, is is really encouraging when I consider, and we'll get to it a little bit later, how dry we've been in portions of the area. And yet when I start seeing some of those numbers, I think there's reason for hope for some people that are maybe uh, a little down in the dumps since we haven't had, at least in my geography, um, a whole lot of rain, particularly parts of uh, Nicollet County and, and elsewhere, um, really hold out some hope that there may be some surprisingly good yields there despite those challenges so that was kind of a long answer to your question Ashley but you know it's always exciting to report that those first uh, combine rides and those first uh, observations off the combine yeah that's really fun to hear and I'm, I'm pretty jealous that you've been able to hop in the combine already can I ask Jay on that was he able to get that planted in April or was that an early May planting? That was actually a 28th of April plant. Okay. Again, a little bit lighter ground. Not a lot of stuff in our area went in that early, but yeah, it was 28th of April. Okay. Oh, that's exciting. Well, Jay and I have been looking at a lot of corn in the Southeast and, and we thought we would share what we've been up to uh, the last couple days and before we mo move on to the bulk of our topics. Uh, but the last couple of days we have been on tour looking at corn in our annual plot tour for our pioneer employees in Southeast Minnesota. And the purpose of these couple of days is to allow us to focus on uh, hybrid performance in various locations across our replicated plot sets to help us better understand uh, placement opportunities and, and understand what our, our portfolio of products is doing under various conditions. And we really learned a lot in these last couple of days. So we were over in the far Southeast. We were able to look at corn in Houston, Fillmore, Mauer, Olmstead, and Dodge County. And Jay, I looked it up because I was really curious of everything we looked at across our replicated plot sets. What percent of our total 
corn supply uh, we were able to see in terms of the hybrids that we saw, what percent of our total pile were we able to see? Wow, we- Ashley, that's an excellent question. Well, I would... I did the math. What do you think? You did. Okay. You did the math. So I will thank you. You're taking me off the hook here. I don't have to answer that question. So what percentage is it? (laughs) I'm going to hold up my hands to show what I think the percentage would be. But you're close. You're very close. It was 88%. And that, I thought that was really cool for a few reasons. Um, One being from our observations in the Southeast, we were able able to ground truth some scores, particularly with corn disease, um, that being tar spot. And I feel really confident in understanding our scores and that our scores are reflective of actual uh, tolerance in the field. And, and it's cool to, to say we feel confident in seeing 80 per, 88% of our portfolio under disease pressure and validating the score. So I thought that was neat, but Jay, what were your takeaways um, and anything that stood out in the last couple of days? Well, I think for me, as, as we arrived in Southeast Minnesota was just compared to my area here in, in South Central Minnesota, you know, uh, Nicollet County and in North here, um, how lush everything is, how lush and green everything is as a general rule in Southeast because they've been catching all those rains. Um, you know, having said that, the the downside of that, if there's a downside is uh, between that and a, a lot of um, dewy mornings in the month of August, it really set the stage for tar spot to to develop. And, and for me, what I thought was just really left a profound impression on me as we were driving windshield scouting as we would go from one plot to the next, how there was uh, situations where there were split planters and you could see a dramatic difference in what was tar spot tolerance between one variety or next or within the field, just the topographical influence where, you know, a lot of times some of those lower line areas of the fields maybe north facing slopes where oftentimes white mold is the problem in soybeans and you'd see those deadheads and beans sticking up a lot of years it's dead corn in those spots are really severely infected um uh, hybrids or fields as far as a tar spot and you alluded to it as well ashley for me what what was real gratifying and, and interesting is in all of those product knowledge plots we always have a couple of competitive testers there as well. And then to make a comparison across the range of our our lineup, hybrid to hybrid, how our scores measure up uh, to one another. But then also, you know, what what pleased me is, at least as a pioneer guy, is that the couple of competitive products we had in there, they're rated as being average for tar spot in a competitor's lineup. And, And yet, if we compare it to what we think is average in our lineup, our average products seem to have a better tolerance than theirs. And I think as we're managing this disease, as people manage the disease going forward, it's just an important reminder that your best comparison, as it is on on, on most all agronomic scores, is those compare those numbers within a company, within a brand, rather than brand to brand. And so that that was one of the big take-homes for me, Ashley. That is that is what I would I would echo all of that, Jay, that was, that was very impactful on me in, in driving home that hybrid selection in terms of uh, tar spot tolerance is going to be one of our biggest tools in the toolbox going forward. But speaking of, of going forward, this is a great time to introduce our guest. I am, I am particularly happy to be able to introduce Mark Bernard, 
Mark is a crop consultant in the New Richland area, and Mark has been working in crop management for over 30 years, uh, lots of experience. We're very lucky to get to talk to Mark today, and Mark is also a long-term contributor to the Pro Farmer Crop Tour. Uh, so if you follow the tour, Mark is on the eastern leg traditionally. Now, Mark, have you always done the eastern leg of the Pro Farmer Crop Tour? Yep, I've always been on the eastern leg as the tour agronomist, yep. Okay, okay. And I, I eagerly follow Mark's reports because Mark has a, a way with words and is very well written. So I, I, enjoy, I enjoy seeing your feedback from the tour um, and always enjoy what you have to say about local observations. So for you, Mark, looking at crops, looking at corn in the New Richland area, what have you been seeing for tar spot and, and what is your speculation as to what we might see in the future? Well, tar spot is probably, um, you know, more of a late to the table uh, rival here in, in this area versus what you've been seeing down in Southeast. Uh, Fillmore County is the county I grew up in. Uh, so when, when I started seeing that, I thought, well, I can kind of figure why that would be. Um, I got to figure why it's been a little bit later here in, in the New Richland area. I mean, we, we're not as heavily corn on corn. We're, we're uh, <clears throat> going to be doing some other things such as more boat plowing and, and that kind of thing, which probably don't hurt matters. So it's been a little, little later, but we're finding it. And that's one of the things I think we, we need to uh, really pay attention to now that we find, found it, how bad is it going to get? And so far, I mean, we've found very little that really looks explosive at this point, but there are certain hybrids and, and certain areas that uh, we really need to be keeping an eye on. Do you and so, Mark, as you, you know, you share those, those thoughts and observations, you know, I, what are your thoughts as far as potential risk for us here you know, in, in South Central Minnesota or a little bit further west, you know, in, in recent weeks here? Uh, Pioneer, we always track on a weekly basis uh, new observations as far as tar spot. And in the last couple of weeks, it's expanded to include um, Blue Earth and Martin County and in Waseca County and in Steele County. And in, when we have those reports, it, it it's saying that we've seen it. It doesn't mean it's of the right. magnitude that people are treating. And so, you know, the question I have for you is, you know, maybe you can go out on a limb a little bit and speculate, okay, is it only a matter of time before we get clobbered like Southeast? Or, you know, in, in my mind, I've wondered that, you know, historically Southeast Minnesota also, because of their crop rotation and because of the environment, they tend to have more problems with Northern corn leaf blight than we do over here. Sure. And is tar spot going to end up kind of being that way that occasionally we might have an outbreak. What are your thoughts, Mark? You know, I, I think that's a good point, Jay, that it may be more fickle. Uh, you know, our weather here, we get a little less rainfall than they do over in Southeast by and large. And our, uh, you know, our heat this last year and intervals between those rainfalls too, I, I think was different than what they had in Southeast. So I think, you know, the whole equation has to be taken into account. And that said, I, I tend to agree with your observation that it, it's a matter of time before we see it hit us hard here sometime in the future. But I think there, again, we know what's here. That's going to alert us. We're going to have to be scouting for it. 
um, it, when we start getting conditions that are more conducive to it, maybe than what we saw this last year. Well, and Mark, what excites me about that is that I've got Ashley as a buffer between me and Southeast, and she is 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 a bloodhound when it comes to spot and tar spot. Yes. So I'll always be able to get an early indication from her whether or not it's going to be coming our way. So you know, Ashley, you, you keep doing what you're doing. Don't ever go away because uh, that'll be helping me out. That is a little bit of pressure, but but I appreciate it. So on the lines of tar spot, last question before we leave tar spot. Something that I have been grappling with. Um, and, and I'll, I'll look to, to you two for thoughts on this, um, with your experience, something I've been grappling with in the tar spot conversation has been the fungicide timing discussion. And I'll, I'll, I'll give a scenario. We had a cornfield, um, in the, the Manterville area that had received a VT foliar fungicide. And then when we were early dent, I saw a lot of tar spot in that field. However, if you look at our current understanding of fungicide applications as applies to tar spot, university data suggests once we get to that or R4 early dent timeframe, we may not see an ROI on that fungicide application. But I was pretty uncomfortable walking out of that field with how much tar spot was there and leaving it for the next 30 days to continue to develop, knowing that we had quite a bit of yield to put into that corn still. And I, I know it's not a definite answer, but Mark, what, what would be your thoughts, uh, recommendations in a situation like that? I, I guess I've, I've been more in the camp all along that, especially when we're dealing with tar spot, we maybe need to be a little later on our fungicide application timing anyway than, than, than VT. I think that's just too early. And I think a lot of the uh, people who are, are selling the fungicides are going to be saying the same things that we, we, and, you know, unless you want to be spraying it twice automatically, and that's going to start to add up cost-wise, uh, that little later uh, application might be something to strongly consider. I appreciate that, especially thinking to next year. We, we've certainly learned a lot this year to be able to bring to our farmers going into next year. Now switching gears um, and looking to soybeans for a little bit. Uh, when, we, when we went into that Southeast corner of, of Minnesota this week and saw so much tar spot, just like Jay mentioned, the crop was big and green and lush and different than what we've seen in central Minnesota for me. And then you know for Jay, as he moves further West, um, even more of a contrast. But with that, I expected on my kind of my east side where I've gotten a little bit more rain. And then as you moved into those counties that we were just in here this last couple of days, I expected we would see more white mold. And we really didn't see a whole lot of white mold. And I haven't seen a whole lot of white mold in my area. So I'm wondering, Mark, what have you seen for white mold? And do you have any speculation as to why we haven't seen it to be as intense despite big canopies um, and quite a bit of rain as we got into the south? Sure. Sure. Um, one of the things about uh, our situation in our area of South Central Minnesota, anyway, uh, we really did not see much white mold. Um, and a lot of that, I think, was due primarily to the uh, rainfall intervals that I was mentioning. I mean, we get rain here, but it would be, and eh, we get two inches, and then we go three weeks without. And it would be warm, and it would dry things. The canopy was dried out, you know, a lot of times 
before noon, before we were out in these fields. And I'm going, well, that's really not conducive to white mold. And when we got about to August 1st, we look out in these fields of lush canopy. Uh, some of these beans are almost done flowering at that point. We had a fair number of earlier one, uh, six, one, eight maturity type beans out here. So once that happens, that really kind of shuts the door on white mold for us. I, I'm appreciative to hear that because I was I was beginning to question everything I knew about the disease. And now as we look back, that does make a lot of sense. Jay, what do you think? Well, it's interesting, Ashley, because we had not had any signs of uh, white mold in, in my area at all here. So, and again, trying to define my area, we all talk about South Central Minnesota <laughs> and I'm the north side, of, north and west side of South Central Minnesota. So, right. You know, any of you that uh, are maybe not local listeners, if you think of, uh, you know, in Mankato, the uh, the Minnesota River takes a bend. And so I'd be north of the Minnesota River uh, as you go west from Mankato and I'd be west of uh, the Minnesota River as you go north towards the Twin Cities. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things was is that this year, as dry as it was early on, it seemed like the beans were slower to, to canopy. And so we we had less of a conducive environment in the beans for establishment of white mold. The thing that I found quite fascinating was that when we had a rain that provided a much welcome relief, the weekend of the 13th of August, um, it was just 10 days later that I saw my first plant that uh, was dead from white mold. And it hasn't really taken off. But it really had me thinking, okay, you know, was it that rainfall, the triggering event? And then, holy cow, you know, 10 days later, I see a dead plant. How rapidly, you know, those plants can potentially get infected by white mold. And, and again, fortunately, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a major outbreak. But that was a real learning for me. It's just you, you get the right set of conditions. We'd finally close the canopy. And it was that stretch here, there where we had some dewy uh mornings when there was some fog lingered um but i think that's uh it was quite interesting quite interesting so you know i think the one thing that we have seen and i remember there being comments on the the pro farmer tour uh i remember as i listened to the western leg of the tour at least they commented that as they came into southern minnesota one of their observations was more sudden death syndrome in the soybeans. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps, Mark, you can maybe share what you might have seen further. You, you came from the east and ultimately came into Minnesota, what your observations were there, but then also share your local observations. Yeah, you know, on the eastern leg of the tour, uh, we would see some SDS as we were coming back from Ohio on through Indiana, Illinois, and the eastern side of Iowa but not nearly to the extent that we were seeing it here uh, when we got back into South Central Minnesota and Southeastern Minnesota for that matter. That's, that's where the Eastern Lake comes through is on the east side of I-35, generally speaking. But uh, it's, and, go ahead. And so Mark, your, your recommendations to, you know, how are with, with the growers that you work with as a consultant, you know, mm -hmm. what are, are, you know, two or three key things that that you share with them with regard to SDS and in managing the disease is that it seems to me where where I'm at that each year it seems like it's progressively getting just a little more common a little more common 
and so on. So I'm curious what your recommendations are. Yeah, it's it's great to see the seed companies have done such a wonderful job of screening and and uh, uh, selecting for tolerance to the disease. And you can definitely see some major differences out here. The other thing that uh, you know, and and that's of course one of the things I. Uh, recommend is you get a get a variety that's going to be you know as tolerant as you can if you know you've got the disease in the field in particular. The other thing is the seed treatments. Both uh, I, I you know Ilevo uh, and and Saltro are doing a pretty darn good job of of helping to keep this disease under control. And so, Mark, you have the you have the the luxury of maybe knowing the people you work with feels maybe a little more intimately since you walk them on a regular basis. So then what kind of recommendation do you have for them for using the seed treatments for SDS? Is it, um, you know, select fields or do you, you make blanket recommendations that, you know, what we're seeing now and on the soils in our area, you ought to just be using that seed treatment for SDS. How, how do you manage that? You know, I've watched SDS as it's developed here in Minnesota. I watched it. I first saw it back in about 2004 out in Ohio and Indiana. Watched it just smack fields of beans, uh, kill them dead. Saw it in 2009 down in Iowa, do the same thing. And like you said, we know these fields pretty intimately. Uh, I can probably find SDS in most of the soybean fields that we're scouting. because we've been scouting them so darn long. And uh, uh, my recommendation to most of these growers is you probably better be using a seed treatment on these fields, at least in the near future. You know, on that, uh, Mark and Jay, you know, I we get through this time of year and the beans go in the bin, you know, they get hauled off the farm and, and we forget some of the things that transpired that we may need to manage next year. Not all of us, not if maybe you're Jay or Mark, but maybe I do, or, or maybe, you know, one of our listeners does. And then we get back to next spring and, and we're excited. We're ready to get the crop in the ground. And, and we've, we've heard messages throughout the winter of, of how to achieve high yields in soybeans. And, and one of those messages, no doubt, is to plant as early as possible. And so just for our listeners' sake, I would, I would remind us all of then the, the confounding factor of the early planting date, which tends to correlate with a cooler soil temperature. And we're, we saw some of that, I think, as we looked at where we saw the SDS this year, is those early planted fields, if they weren't protected, were going into cooler soils. Would you, would you agree there was a correlation there from the planting dates that you observed, Mark? Well, you got to remember that I deal with type AAA farmers, <laughs> a lot of them. Uh, when that when that corn is done, that those beans are going on the ground. I mean, there's there's no horsing around, and uh, in some cases they're going in the in the ground at the same time because they've got two machines out there that they can use. And and uh, I'm I'm not going to stop them uh, <laughs> just based on SDS. But I will say, you know, in that, in that case, definitely consider that seed treatment at that point. I mean, it might be the difference between. Uh, a real long face and a real happy face at the end of the season. That's that's putting it. That's putting a bow on it right there. That's <laughs> taking it down to brass tacks. The long face or happy face. I love it. So I would then bring us back to corn briefly. Um, Mark, I know I know you you do sticky trapping for mm-hmm. some of your customers, and and you have a great feel for 
rootworm populations over time in your area. Can you give us any context of what you're seeing this year? You know, our, our general uh, consensus here where we've got rotated corn and beans, it, it's not too bad uh, in, in, in the fields where we've had the sticky traps. If you've got continuous corn out here in, in our area of South Central Minnesota, you probably got a problem. And the sticky traps would tend to bear that out. Uh, I, I went cross-eyed counting the last set of fields that were continuous uh, corn. And uh, I, I really think that uh, we need to start to consider some other options other than just continuous corn and, on some of these fields. Mm -hmm. um, and Mark, I guess the question I have for you is, um, you know, we have a number of growers, Ashley and I both deal with them, and, and I'm sure you do as well, where, no, they they got to plant corn. They're locked into planting corn. And that's what I've been seeing in my area. It's those years at three, five. I had one that was 20 years continuous corn where we're having some heavier pressure, where maybe in some cases the traits are beginning to, to wear thin. Yeah. And so, you know, we're going to put you in our shoes, Mark. <laughs> what do you tell those folks? Should, should they be, should they be beetle bombing as far as putting an insecticide in with a fungicide application if they're doing that? Should they be going with something in furrow? Should they be rotating their, their traits? What are your recommendations? Well, definitely they should be rotating those traits. Uh, if you're planning on going back with the same trait year after year. It's just a time bomb. Um, and as far as, as the uh, inferno insecticide, we've done that on some fields. Uh, does it reduce the uh, rootworm beetle counts that we're finding in the traps? Probably not. Does it protect the roots enough so that we're getting by with it? Probably. Um, we haven't done a lot of beetle bombing uh, as such, but uh, we do know some people who are doing it. Uh, with varying degrees of success. And that I think is, is the key thing. I mean, are you gonna be able to time that application such that you're gonna take those gravid females out or a large enough percentage of them to, to make it, you know, so that you're not gonna to have to be going out, out there two, three times. Right, and I think that's one of the things that I've always, I've always struggled with too, and, and it's weighing off or things. Uh, some of, the, some of the farmers we work with are, are thinking perhaps at least we will, with one application, it isn't as if we're trying to get into a situation where we're trying to eliminate rootworm pressure, right. period, and not need to use the trait, but will we maybe knock things down a little bit for, for a relatively inexpensive cost if they're already going back across the field with a fungicide, should they just, just do it? And, I, and you know, I, I, I kind of have mixed feelings. Uh, and I think it, it may help some uh, to alleviate pressure in some of those situations, but um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It's a good question, Mark. And, and uh, you know, that, that's kind of how I think some of our guys look at it almost, you know, one of the analogies I've used at times is, um, you know, a lot of times different crop soybeans will go on and lay down a reduced rate of a pre. And we know that it's not going to, or even in corn for that matter, put down a reduced rate of a pre. We don't expect it to control weed season long, but it's going to help out a bit with that post-emerge application. Mm -hmm. you know, can a person 
by making those applications to some of those beetles um, help that way. And, and one of the things I wonder sometimes too now as well is I start walking some of these fields where they have high pressure, the amount of silk clipping that has, has, has occurred, I start wondering, okay, with the value of the crop we have nowadays, it maybe doesn't take too many silks to be clipped. You know, okay. it doesn't need to be a disaster. And so I, I, you know, curious on your perspective there, Mark, before we move on. You know, I, I did not see an awful lot of silk clipping this last season or this, this summer in the fields that, that we were scouting. And in particular, those continuous cornfields I was mentioning, some of those babies have been in corn 25, 30 years. And that was not really the issue. Mm -hmm. uh, just an enormous um, a number of beetles. And it seemed like the corn this year, too. When, when we, we got rain just exactly when we needed it, uh, and, and that corn pollinated quickly, it, it didn't waste any time. So, I mean, silk clipping was, was a pretty minor uh, problem as far as we were concerned. And it may be more of a local, local issue for me just to have them in a little bit, a little bit drier be. here as well. Yeah, and it could be. So, so your, your thoughts and your recommendations, kind of, kind of summarize that, summarize before the summary at the end of the podcast, but, but okay. that being that, you know, really, uh, ideally, number one, looking at rotating that corn in those those heavy situations, if at all possible. If you're locked in, the fact that if you would use a uh, uh, infero uh, in, in insecticide could take uh, some pressure off of the trait. You know, and I think and most people, because it's convenient, they're looking at some of the liquid products, which aren't sure. quite as efficacious as right. the granulate products. Right. And then the other your other comment being just make sure that you're you're aware of the, the traits that you're using in those fields and, and rotating those traits. Yeah. So, um, well, uh, Mark, I really appreciate your, your insights on, uh, on that and, and as well as some of the other topics here, but, you know, we're almost out of time. Um, but one last question here is, you know, what can you say you walk a lot of fields? Um, I understand you've kind of been from end to end and maybe corner to corner of the state of Minnesota to kind of get a sense of, what you think the crop looks like, you know, what do you think the potential is for this year's crop up in your area and maybe in a more general sense in Minnesota? Well, I think our, our, our uh, crop here in Minnesota as, as far as corn in this area of the state looks absolutely phenomenal. And that's backed up by uh, not only the yield checks that we've taken, but the pro farmer crop tour when they rolled through this area in Minnesota said, wow, you guys got a crop here on the corn side. Uh, the soybean side, I was fairly optimistic uh, up until we started to see a few warts show up in the in the form of uh, SDS. I mean, there's going to be some pockets and some things that are that are going to you know have a, a take a bite out of, of that soybean crop. So I'm not as as happy about what I see there. In you know, um, and I think if if I'm going to you know kind of my thoughts from from my area here. And again, just to to understand how, how different things are, I had a plot night at uh, at St. Peter in the St. Peter area um, mm -hmm. earlier this week. And since the 11th of May, when that particular plot was planted, they've had 7.8 inches mm. of rain. And uh, we were asking some people in the audience what their recollections were from 1988. And, uh, you know, uh, one of them said that they thought it was about six and a half inches that growing season. So we've been particularly dry 
in my area. And uh, it is interesting to see the contrast because when Ashley and I were on the tour this week with our colleagues and we were visiting with uh, Josh Schaffner and um, Hallie Wise, they, they said that last week was the first week that they, since planting, that they didn't have mud on their shoes it's sometime during the week walking out of the fields and 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 we've been i haven't had mud on my shoes at all this year so we've been a bit drier um you know i I think i'm encouraged by what i saw in this these early harvest results here on on some of the sands uh you know i I think several weeks back farmers were thinking that we might still have a crop that would rival a year ago and on corn and, and i Although we the ear size may have looked similar as far as kernel row counts, it seems to me now, since we haven't had these rains to speak of in August, that the crop is racing a bit to the finish. And so I think we'll be off some on, on corn. I think probably more so on soybeans, at least in my geography. I, I shouldn't say it's a, a once-in-a-lifetime um, experience as far as bean yields last year, but it's pretty phenomenal. And I'm not a pod counter generally. I'm kind of a pod observer, I always call myself. And in a, a year ago, you know, one of the things I saw in our area that I, I, I can't remember seeing other years to the degree I did last year was a lot of the nodes I would count, not just like two or three pods per node, but it was four, five, and even sometimes six. In yep. last year, I saw a fair number of pods. It wasn't difficult to find four bean pods this year it seems like we're more down to earth more you know uh two three pods and a lot of three pods per node occasionally some four but then it's just it seems like a more typical year and then you can see it in the upper the upper nodes of the plant here with this dry that we just didn't add much on the upper part so so that's one where it's going to maybe be you know uh, a a bit of a change substantially from a from a year ago Sure. You know, I sit in the middle of of our our southeast Minnesota territory as we define it within Pioneer. So I run up and down I thirty five for the most most of my time. I don't go very far east and very far west. And so if if Jay was a little too dry, and we go to the southeast, and and that additional moisture gave them more tar spot opportunity, I would say on my east side I was just about right. <laughs> which is is a fun place to be comparing the last comparing this year to last year. I I would I I, I would offer that I, I our um, planting conditions weren't quite as ideal or, or as nice um this year than they were last year. Granted we we were cold when we started planting last year. The soil conditions were beautiful. And this year some of our some farms got pushed a little bit just in the interest of getting corn planted when we had a few intermittent rains. Um, in the month of May, and I can see some of that, um, particularly as I get uh, in the central part of my territory, Owatonna area, um, yeah. Wasika area, a little bit of that. And yeah, hopefully they, it doesn't. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and, and they did catch a, a fair amount of rain earlier that ran right along that Highway 14 corridor, and um, I watched the guy in Owatonna, and I, I also collect for the Minnesota Climatology Working Group and watched that set of data and every time he'd get rain he'd always get more rain than I did and I thought how is he doing this but you get over there and you go wow it is wetter there no question about it if they're going to run out of steam a little bit it's been a little bit since I've looked at corn in that particular area but I wonder if they're going to run out of steam with nitrogen too just sitting saturated so frequently yeah 
Yeah. But despite that, on the north side, I'm a little drier as I get mm-hmm. on the far north side of my area, and, and they've got a lot of irrigation up there in that um, Hastings area. Sure. And under the irrigation, corn looks great, beans look sure. great. You get on the corners, and it's pretty tough. Um, but one thing I've noticed this year that it makes me excited about the corn crop is just the depth of our kernels um, on our on our hybrids that tend to bring yield from kernel depth. The depth is is tremendous. Beans I'm not willing to take a stab on, but I would agree that the warts are that, you know, the sun depth that we've seen is going to ratchet down our previous experience, you know, comparing just the two years. Um, Jay, any, any favorite key points from our discussion before we close it down? Well, Ashley, you know, and of course I, I, I get the last word on observations from the area, but and one of the things I, I did want to share too, that, that I think is, is, is interesting is, um, you know, we as agronomists always get accused of using the, uh, variability the term variable too much okay and 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 yet i think this year in my geography there's a lot of years where i can say okay north of highway 19 they're going to have a great crop but south highway 19 it's not so good and and in my geography this year i cannot make a general statement like that because there is a, a couple pockets in my area where you know they live just right and mm. they got some shots of rain and they sure. will have a crop that'll be like you guys. It'll be probably every bit as good or better than last year, but kind of as, as a general rule, that's what I tend to see um, in, in my area. Um, but uh, I could probably go on for about another five, 10 minutes talking <laughs> about my, my thoughts of the crop and we really need to wind things up for the listeners. But, you know, my, my key points that, that I, I caught uh, from today's conversation, getting back to where we started with, with tar spot and, um, you know, I think a couple of key things as we as we hear talking to Mark, but then also as I hear talking to our colleagues, to the Josh Schaffner and, and Allie Wise, who have lived tar spot for a couple of years here now. And, you know, things they, they say is one of the things is to in an area where you have concerns, where it's a it appears it may be a perennial concern is that you start off with, you know, look at those uh, hybrid scores as far as tolerance to tar spot. And then timing those fungicide applications. And, and Mark, you made reference to it as well, is there's going to be that inclination because it's a pretty nasty disease to perhaps jump the gun and, and maybe make an earlier application than you need to be, need to. And if you do that, it's kind of like when you spray aphids and beans too soon before they really have high enough numbers, you might have to come in and spray a second time. Um, and then also, I mean, I think Ashley, you made reference to it as well. Then then how how long do you treat until? And, you know, it sounds like once you get to that R4 stage, you're fully dented in that corn. Um, if you have tar spot at that point in time, one, either it's going to be too, uh, either it's going to be you know, too late to really benefit if you have a significant amount of tar spot out there. It's already, the cows are already out of the barn. It's going to do what it's going to do. Or it already did it. And there's just not enough time anymore for it to infest badly enough to impact yield. So that's kind of a, long summary on on tar spot uh, as we talk about sds and you know mark you mentioned it where you know some of the warts are showing on the bean crop one of those biggest warts this year being being sudden death syndrome you shared your observations elsewhere other years in on the pro farmer tour what you've seen as far as the impact from sds and you know your recommendations being that uh, you know folks uh, start by variety uh, selection, 
then team that with a, a good um, uh, seed treatment, whether it be a, a, a levo or, or a saltro to help protect um, that yield. Um, it is not going to eliminate SDS. You may, you're still going to see some SDS, but you're going to reduce its, its pressure. And uh, so those are the key takeaways I had, and I already summarized the corn rootworm discussion. So Ashley, I'm going to maybe let you uh, bring things home and uh, draw things to a close and set things up for our next podcast. You bet. We appreciate you so much, Mark. Thank you for taking time here on what is today a Friday afternoon to have this discussion with us. Um, we we appreciate your insights so much, and and we'll continually continually respect um, hearing hearing your thoughts on the crop in the future. Uh, listeners, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Ashley Storby, and Jay is on Twitter at SeedZeek. And if you would like to visit with Mark. You can also find Mark on Twitter and you can find him at MN Weed Wizard. And I can assure you that he has earned that, that title. So you can find him at MN Weed Wizard. And you can join Jay and me on our next episode as we share late season observations and possibly even some more harvest numbers. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 19 of Your Field is Our Office. Be safe and stay healthy. Thank you.